Ensure your next purchase is a real deal and shop authentic handbags, watches, sneakers, streetwear and jewellery from eBay, backed by Authenticity Guarantee. Visit ebay.com for terms. Hello and welcome to the New Yorker Poetry Podcast. This is Paul Muldoon, the poetry editor of the magazine, and it's a pleasure to welcome you here today. On this programme, as you may or may not have noticed, we invite a poet to choose a poem from the, the rather extensive New Yorker archive, and we discuss it, and then we ask the poet to read one of their own poems that's been published in the magazine. And I'm thrilled to say that our guest today is Brenda Shaughnessy. Brenda Shaughnessy, the author of, among other collections, Human Dark with Joy, which was awarded the James Loughlin Award from the Academy of American Poets. Welcome, Brenda Shaughnessy. Thank you. So the poem that you've chosen from that vast archive is by C.D. Wright, the late C.D. Wright, and it's called Like a Prisoner of Soft Words a poem that has a particular resonance for you. Yes, well, I I think C.D. Wright was a visionary, absolutely a political visionary and an aesthetic visionary, and her way of using words for me has always just cracked open the language. I'm always astounded by her mind, and here in particular, I find that just the way that this poem progresses and the, the way that the... Uh, individual statements sort of amass ever new meanings, nuances. She takes an individual statement and turns it into a multiple statement as she goes on. Mm -hmm. And I find that so beautiful and so necessary, especially now. It's a poem that proceeds by one detail piled on top of another, by accretion and accrual. Very gently, I think, in many ways, Mm -hmm. taking us into its sphere. Yes, it's um, it surprises every single moment. The the accretion is one thing, but the sort of blossoming is another thing. There's a kind of not just fact added onto fact, idea added onto idea, but a kind of multiplicity or a kind of uh, repopulation of ideas. It just sort of it just sort of explodes, especially by the end. You know, there are a couple of re- uh, phrases here. One of them is in Spanish, "al otro lado," the other side. And then the Minutemen, I suppose most of us in this country know who the Minutemen were, or have we forgotten? Maybe we've forgotten. So the Minutemen, of course, the uh, civilian soldiers, the militia from the uh, American War of Independence. But I think that's probably it in a certain sense. Anything else that you'd want to mention as we enter the territory of the poem? That may be a historical reference, but I think that in her cadence, in her accrual, in her sort of listing, uh, she goes back and forth in time. It may be a historical reference, but it seems to have new iteration here in this particular poem, in this moment she's speaking about. You know, I think we should listen to the poem like a prisoner of soft words uh, by C.D. Wright, and it's read here by Brenda Shaughnessy. We walk under the wires and the birds resettle. We know where we're going, but have not made up our mind which way we will take to get there. 
If we pass by the palmists, she can read our wayward lines. We may drop things along the way that substantiate our having been here. We will not be able to transmit any of these feelings verbatim. By the time we reach the restaurant, one of us is angry. Here, a door gives in to a courtyard overlooking a ruined pool. We suspect someone has followed one or the other of us. We touch the spot on our shirt where the ink has seeped. The lonely outline of the host is discerned near an unlit sconce. As guests, we are authorized not to notice. We drop some cash on the tablecloth. We lack verisimilitude, but we press on with intense resolve. At the border, under a rim of rock, the footbridge. Salt cedars have grown over the path. The water table is down, and we cannot see who is coming. The pollos and their pollero, the migra, the mules, the Minutemen, the women who wash for the other women al otro lado, or the murdered boy herding his goats after school. 627, the fell of dark, not day. Interesting to see that uh, very specific time coming in just at the end of the poem. In a strange way, one would expect to see that kind of detail in a movie, for example. And it, this has a this this poem has a kind of movie feel to it, as so many do. One would expect to see the six twenty seven up top, mm-hmm, but it's mm-hmm. re, it's withheld there to the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the poet is saying at this very moment, at this exact time, at this particular location, at this border, with this boy, this scene, this is what is happening. Um, it is not general, it's not generic, it's not an approximation. It is exact. These people, this boy, this moment. It does seem to be set on the border between the U.S. and Mexico. Would that be your reading of it? I would it? absolutely think. That, that's absolutely what I think, yes. Which is one of those borders, I suppose, that uh, if anything is becoming, uh, I don't know if it's becoming more or less fluid. Fluid. I mean, we have a president who's thinking of, or has certainly claimed he was going to build a wall there. This border has always been contested. This border is, if not fluid, then a place where two states meet. Mm-hmm. Um, but the actual line is somewhat imaginary. Um, the line is something that actually shows us the violence created in separating these two states. Um, when she forces the reader to see this boy, to see these women, she's telling us we must pay attention to these lands, to this area where... Um, the, the space between two states is murky, is, is contested, is, um, is violent. So perhaps it goes beyond um, uh, political states um, to other points of contact, other um, zones that are borderline. Absolutely. Borderlands, sort of these places where we intersect with another, another state, another part of ourselves, another uh, aspect of being human, another... Intersections of all kinds, whether that be sort of identities or groups, states. This is a place in this poem, the very last moment, where we see that starkly, where we cannot, we really can't reduce this moment, these borderlands, this border to the abstract, to 
um, just something that is simply us and them. One of the moments I love in this poem is the image of the, the we touch the spot on our shirt where the ink has seeped. It's an image with which we're all uh, familiar. One, I don't think, though, one has quite seen it presented in this way. And, of course, in the context of a poem, which, you know, may or may not have been written with ink, may have been written on a computer, I suppose. But certainly the idea of ink and writing are still still somewhat connected. And uh, there's a heart, uh, heart blood ink combination there somehow at that moment. Absolutely. I mean, the the idea that the ink is seeped into the shirt, you know, there's something untoward about the inner fluid being externalized and seen and and, and made, uh, making a stain. And the stain is absolutely, it's another way of saying um, what, what was inside is now outside. That was Like a Prisoner of Soft Words by C.D. Wright. It was published in the July 2nd, 2007 issue of the magazine. And then on uh, the 20th of July in 2015, uh, we were very pleased to publish your poem, Brenda Shaughnessy, I Have a Time Machine. And you're going to read that for us now. But uh, before you do so, maybe would you say a word about why... uh, why you chose this particular poem from those that you've published in The New Yorker? Well, it's the most recent one, but I also thought that it had some ideological parallels with the C.D. Wright poem. I thought that the way that it uses time or this idea that we are bodies going through time that we seem to think uh, we have no control over, but actually we carry all these memories, that there are all these spaces within us that feel... Uh, separate and discreet and unreachable, but actually we carry all of those memories, all those spaces our bodies have been through every new intersection, every new borderlands, every new crossing. We carry that with us everywhere we go. And for me, C.D. Wright's poem resonated, and I thought for me as a writer, as somebody who carries mixedness and... Uh, a kind of painful kind of set of identities that sort of bump up against each other and are always Do you mean mixedness in your, in your ethnicity? Is I mean, that what you're saying? Or, yeah, mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean mixedness in my ethnicity. I'm biracial and I'm also bisexual, but also I'm many identities, you know, as we all are. And I feel that right. when you reduce everyone to sort of one or two basic identity categories... You know, people are also parents, they're writers, they're aspirants, they're workers, they're... A, a garbage host, men. Garbage men. There are a whole number, there's so many things. And and there's a way that mixedness, I think, um, I think the political term for it at this moment is intersectionality, has been overlooked as a way of being, as a, as a good way of being, as a way that we can actually address all of our nuances, all of our strangeness, and all of the painful ways that things butt up against each other. Um, in productive ways. Well, let's hear this poem, I Have a Time Machine. Before you read it, let me just ask you, are you a fan or you a devotee of any of the the literature of time travel? I suppose many writers have have attempted to present uh, novels, poems, short stories in which time travel is a feature. I love, (laughs) I love thinking about time travel. I mean, I think that it's, pretty it's it's pretty irresistible i mean the, the simple ideas of course always in literature if i could just go back and change things and then there's the more complex literary history and sort of uh metaphysical 
discussions around time travel, which is you can't go back because then everything everything changes and there's this domino effect and you can't do that. But and I'm finding the more I read, the more poets and writers are obsessed with time machines and time travel. And this poem is really um, stripping the complicated fantasy of the time machine down to essentially what is an inescapable reality. Well, let's hear it. I have a time machine uh, written and read by Brenda Shaughnessy. I have a time machine, but unfortunately it can only travel into the future at a rate of one second per second, which seems slow to the physicists and to the grant committees and even to me. But I managed to get there time after time to the next moment and to the next. Thing is, I can't turn it off. I keep zipping ahead. Well, not zipping. And if I try to get out of this time machine, open the latch, I'll fall into space, unconscious, then desiccated. And I'm pretty sure I'm afraid of that, so I stay inside. There's a window, though. It shows the past. It's like a television or fish tank, but it's never live. It's always over. The fish swim in backward circles. Sometimes it's like a rearview mirror, another chance to see what I'm leaving behind, and sometimes like blackout, all that time wasted sleeping. Myself, age eight, whole head burnt with embarrassment at having lost a library book. Myself lurking in a candled corner, expecting to be found charming. Me, holding a rose, though I want to put it down so I can smoke. Me, exploding at my mother who explodes at me because the explosion of some dark star all the way back struck hard at mother's mother's mother. I turn away from the window, anticipating a blow. I thought I'd find myself an old woman by now, traveling so light in time. But I haven't gotten far at all. Strange not to be able to pick up the pace as I'd like. The past is so horribly fast. It comes out of that poem with uh, a strange combination, or at least I do, of um, resignation that this is our predicament and almost joy, that uh, perhaps, perhaps joy, outright joy, that this indeed is... Uh, how how we're doomed to be, that in fact we can't quite pick up the pace ever. Mm-hmm. We don't get to choose um, how far or fast we travel through life. We don't get to choose how much time we have. And what I think is really interesting about memory and time is that we have this deep sense that we can't even choose our memories, that there are things that are inaccessible to us that actually happen to us. And that seems very strange. I've been trying to trick myself into remembering new things. And one of the ways you can do that is by sort of defamiliarizing yourself. Um, If you're swimming, if you're singing, if you're doing something like that, you can actually kind of get a strange new access to memories that you don't think about all the time. So in this poem, memory is a way that one time travels. I've always been really fascinated by the idea that that consciousness is something that's in your mind, that your existence is kind of in your mind. And yet, if somebody yells at you right now, to you, 
at that moment, that it's not just that person yelling at you. It's your kindergarten teacher yelling at you. It's your mother yelling at you decades ago. It's the same thing, and your body feels it. It's not just in the mind. Your body's re-experiencing that same terror or shame or whatever it is. So in that moment where you suddenly go freezing cold or that moment where your tongue suddenly thickens and you can't speak. So, in fact, when you appeal to your mother's mother's mother and her impact, I mean, in some sense, uh, we it might be a little fanciful, but perhaps one we may actually engage in some version of time travel, if only that we're doomed by our inheritance, by the DNA. Absolutely. The trauma of memory, the, the, the way that that trauma can become encoded in your in your body, uh, things that never even happened to you, but that where the effects happened to one of your ancestors and the effects of that traveled through you. I mean, this is sort of new, newish science, and it's all very fascinating, especially for poets, I think. Also, that whatever happens in this moment, me exploding at my mother, for example, has its origins so far back before before I even existed, really. And the conclusion that that might be the only explanation for the current explosion is so is so rich to me that it's such an interesting um, possibility that mother's mother's mother might actually still have some connection to me besides a merely bodily one. Did you feel as you were writing this poem that you were learning something about yourself and about, about your your being in the world? Is that something that you... I know I've talked to a number of poets about this, and I have a sense that this is something that many poets are actually, if not exactly setting out to do, in fact, doomed to do, to go Mm -hmm. back to that word, doom. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, this detail about losing a library book when I was eight years old, when I re-remembered this, I realized that I had repressed it for decades I was so embarrassed about this. I'm still so embarrassed about this. I could barely bring myself to put this in the poem. I find myself wondering what it was. Do you remember what it was? Ramona Quimby, age eight. (laughs) I keep thinking I have a slightly more literary bent. I wanted it to be uh, somehow H.G. Wells or something like that. Some time traveler. Jules Verne. That would be be, um, smart of me to have predicted at age eight to lose the library book about time travel that Mm -hmm. would then show up in a poem. 40 years later, a a poem about time travel. But no, um, like I said before, it doesn't go uh, that way. You can't, you can't, um, you can't go back. Well, listen, we can go back and we just have gone back in a sense to revisit with you, Brenda Shaughnessy, this wonderful poem, um, I Have a Time Machine. And uh, thank you very much indeed for coming in and talking. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure. I have a time machine by Brenda Shaughnessy, as well as C.D. Wright's poem, Like a Prisoner of Soft Words, may be found on newyorker.com. Brenda Shaughnessy's latest book of poems is the wonderful So Much Synth, which came out in 2016, and C.D. Wright's last collection, alas, Shall Cross, was published posthumously also in 2016. Thank you very much indeed for being with us today. Thank you for having me. You may subscribe to this podcast, the Fiction Podcast, the Writer's Voice Podcast, and the Politics and More Podcast by searching for The New Yorker in your podcast app. 
You can hear more poetry read by the authors on newyorker.com and on the New Yorker app, available from the App Store or from Google Play. If you've been listening to the Poetry Podcast on your phone, you might want to read The New Yorker that way, too. You can do that with the New Yorker Today app, a great way to read The New Yorker on your mobile device. Download it from iTunes, or you can find it at newyorker.com slash today. The theme music is The Pintigree Ferryman from the album The Highlander's Farewell by Alastair Fraser and Natalie Haas from Colburny Records. The New Yorker Poetry Podcast is produced by Jill Duboff of NewYorker.com with the help of Elizabeth Dennison. Like a Prisoner of Soft Words by C.D. Wright appears in her collection Falling, Rising, Hovering, published by Copper Canyon Press in 2009. The poem is being used here with the permission of the publisher. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. What are you guys excited to cover in the next few months? There's a new a translation of The Iliad that's coming out, Emily Wilson. Oh. Really excited to see whether I can read The Iliad again, whether I'm that literate. I'm, I mean, the jury is out. I can't wait to hear Adam Driver go again in an Italian accent in Michael Mann's Ferrari. <laughs> he can't stop. I mean, and, and bless him. I can't wait. Molto bene. Molto bene. <laughs> we hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. You really don't want to miss this. Don't. Don't miss this. Don't miss it. See you soon. <laughs> Thank you.